welcome to another episode of the Trading Desk Podcast. My name is Joshua Thanos. I'm your host. And today we have a reoccurring guest, probably my favorite guest, and that is the great and powerful Michael Manjos. Hey, Mike, how are you? Josh, great to be with you again. If I'm your favorite guest, man, what does that say about the other people? This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> make it so easy on me. I don't have to do any work when you're on the podcast. So I really appreciate it. You always have the best stories and you have good insights. So, um, and, you know, now that, uh, the the market wrap has seen its finale. Correct. Um, you know, I, I get less of Mike Manjo, so I'm excited for this. Awesome. Let's do it. So, um, all right, cool. So um, as always, we have our customary risk check. Uh, I can guess what Mike has on his wrist, but I'm sure he'll tell you right now. I am going to throw you a little off today because literally last week I switched up. I had actually let somebody borrow my Batman. Um, so I was wearing my Deep Sea James Cameron, the original one. Um, that I hadn't worn in probably a year, but it's always traveling with me. It's always in the bag. Um, and it's just a fun watch. It is really difficult to wear after you've been used to the Batman for so long because it's a tank. I mean, it's huge. And I wore it as a daily driver for like five years. And now putting it back on, I was like, oh, my God, this thing is huge. But I still love it. I beat the hell out of it. It's a cool piece. It's one of the best dials, I think, in Rolex. Um, so I love that watch. Yeah, I think, well, you know, Rolex has definitely put more of an emphasis back onto like funky dials and stuff. So that's kind of changed as of late. But before the OPs and before all these uh, new president dials, yeah, that was the the kind of the craziest dial that you could get from Rolex was a was that uh, that blue to black gradient um, with the green lettering. Uh, yeah, it's cool. I remember when it was released that people were freaking out about it. It was a special edition Rolex. Yeah. <laughs> exactly the case, but it's cool. It's definitely cool. Uh, definitely too big for my wrist, especially that the original one is, I can't, if a watch shifts on my wrist, I like, I freak out. I, I can't deal with it. I have to, in fact, actually, so my wrist check is a Moser that I bought in December. Um, this is a uh, <clears throat> special edition, true limited and special, special edition, edition. Ever made. It's a, um, uh, it's the, the collective horology C.02 um, Pioneer Center Seconds, but it's a, a mashup between the Pioneer Center Seconds that they make traditionally and a, um, a and the uh, the green uh, the green streamliner with the matrix green dial. So literally has the green dial from the uh, the streamliner, but it has the case and the um, and the markers of the Pioneer Center Seconds. And then just to screw things up completely, they threw a rotating ceramic bezel. GMT bezel on the watch. It's 43 millimeters and it has a, a bracelet made by Wellendorf and Manjos knows who Wellendorf is. Cause they really? I didn't know Wellendorf did their bracelet. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. That's, that's one of the, that was one of the things that kind of sold me on the watch. I'm like, Oh wow. So Wellendorf did the bracelet for the Moser. They also did the bracelet for the, um, for the Odysseus. And uh, there was another watch. The original Longas, the first Longa bracelets were all done by Wellendorf, but they were so expensive that Longa stopped selling them. But uh, so they make a cool, uh, it's a really cool bracelet. In fact, but so talk about this. It's a 43 millimeter. And even though I'm, I'm used to wearing a 44 millimeter Panerai, it's on a strap, a rubber strap, and I can strap it down to my wrist and they're flat on the bottom. So it doesn't move. This watch, I was only, when I got the watch, cause I, I, I'd never seen it in person. J my friend Jason had one and I was obsessed with the photos and then I got it and I'm like, oh crap, I don't like this watch. It doesn't fit. Like it's too big. It's too clunky. Uh, the bracelet, the links were a little too big. 
And it freaked me out a little bit. And I like, I don't know if, if you ever get this feeling, but you sometimes you buy a watch, and you're like, oh crap, I made a mistake. Like yeah, I really yeah. can't own it because I can't wear it. It's not comfortable. And luckily what happened with this watch is that um, it stopped on my wrist and I freaked out. Well, it turns out it was just magnetized, which though I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't have a demagnetizer here. Right. So I sent it back to the guys I bought it from, Collective Horology, who were selling it pre-owned, and they sent it back to Moser. And then like three weeks later, they're like, hey, man, this watch is just magnetized. Like, you know, we fixed it. It's fine. So, But they, I was without, without it for a while. It came back, and I started wearing it. Now I'm obsessed with it. I've worn this, so I've had it back for about two or three weeks. I think I I put a, uh, I own a Rolex. I put that watch on for one night when I, when I went out to downtown Miami, and I have an AP that I wore out one time as well. But otherwise, I've been wearing this watch nonstop. And it is, it still moves a little bit on my wrist, but I've gotten used to it. And, you know, it's a, it's a larger, flatter watch. It's not as clunky and chunky as the, um, as the deep sea. And the bracelet is so wide. This is why I think you like this watch, uh, man, just cause you like a big clunky watch. I, I love this clunky. That's what I am. It's so good. And, and I've just, the more I wear the watch, the more I like it. And it has this beautiful green dial that fades to black in certain lights and but in the sun it's just this bright like smack you in the face green and uh i i'm totally in love and obsessed with this watch so i was talking to to asher on the podcast when i, I did one with him and i'm like it, it'll be t- if this watch is ever like some crazy you know trades for some crazy amount of money it'll be very hard to sell it because i i fully bonded with the watch and i really really love it so but uh but yeah so that's that's what i got on the wrist here i love it um can't wait to see yeah. that one in person yeah, well, so next time you're you're down here in Miami, or uh, I'll be down in a couple August. of weeks. Okay, so I'll see you in a couple of weeks. I'll I'll be wearing the watch um, for sure. So, all right, well, let's get started on the topic today. So, uh, as always, I kind of always like talking to, to Mandus about the market and you know where things are going and whatnot. So, if you don't like to hear about the prices of watches, you probably should tune out now because this is what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> Because <laughs> you know, if you don't know who Mike Mandos is, he is the head of global trading. Uh, for are you the is it chief? What, what's your official title? I've had like fourteen of them. Currently, it's a global head of trading. Yes, global head of trading. I was chief but, revenue officer for a while. They changed that one. I was head of B two B for a while. So yeah, the lots of titles. Same guy. So Mandos is making most of the buying decisions. He's going to be pricing most of our watches to buy and pricing how much we offer our watches. So there's nobody. I mean. I can't imagine that there's anybody on the planet right now who has their hands in more inventory than Mike. I mean, we buy almost 100 watches a day globally, right? Like it's it's madness. Um, so, you know, there's no one better to talk to in terms of shifting markets and things because you're going to see all the nuance in the market and you are and you are in real time. I mean, I see you're texting right now. I'm sure you're texting about a watch right now. Well, of course, somebody's arguing about Jordan pricing. It's just well, There you go. So um, one thing that, that I've uh, noticed, I mean, it's been happening – but going probably back, well, I mean, as far back as three three years ago, um, when the Rolex steel prices and Nautilus steel prices just started going insane, where we were seeing steel sport watches that were not super refined or or not super complicated, outpacing or matching the pricing for their uh, stain, their precious metal counterparts, right? So like. Gold Daytonas and steel Daytonas were very close in price. Gold Nautilus and steel Nautilus were trading, you know, basically at the same. And if not, steel Nautiluses were going for more. And same thing with APs. And I think that now, I mean, it's it's been happening gradually. But now, I mean, if you look at the price for, say, like a gold or a steel um, uh, Royal Oak, 
as opposed to a gold royal oak, they're you know a gold royal oak is selling for double what a steel one is. I mean, they're they're both selling for way more than they did just you know four or five years ago. You know, a steel royal oak is whatever fifty k, and a and a uh, and a gold royal oak is hundred k. But at one point, they were basically the same price point. So you know, I want to talk to you about that. Why do you think that is? I have some I have some um, uh, I have some ideas as to or theories as to what's happening here. And, uh, you know, what do you see the future of? Yeah, of it's a great topic steel? because it's definitely been a dramatic change. You know, I would say in the last you know 18 months, certainly even getting more and more so in the last six months where, you know, be it paddock Nautiluses, be it APs is a great point. Um, you know, the gold pieces were never as popular. One, because, you know, new goods, they were, you know, two to three times as expensive and more people felt they could wear steel and it was a more of an affordable price range. Then steel got to the point where they were more than gold. And then everybody, I think, started figuring out that the gold watches were certainly much rarer. And, you know, one of the things I know you brought up, the paddock is kind of the first one that took off. To me, it started with John Mayer. Yeah. John Mayer went on Hodinkee and said, I think the green dial Daytona is the rarest, coolest watch out there and nobody appreciates it. And, you know, back in their days, they used to sit in the showcase and we used to discount them. You couldn't give away where a steel Daytona was even then twice of list. The golds would sit in the case and be discounted until he kind of set the world on fire with colored dials and particularly that green, which was always a dog. And now, you know, then it went from, you know, 40,000 to 75,000. Then it went in the last three months from, you know, 75,000 to 140,000. It's crazy, but I think there's a lot of speculation on it being discontinued, um, which could happen. I would not be shocked. Um, but I also think the rarity factor plays in. And we're living in a time, for whatever reason, and maybe it's the Richard Meal effect, or maybe it's, where watches have become status. It has become, you know, if you are very successful and if you're a high profile person, you wear an important watch, you know, you know, watching the Super Bowl, you know, how many blue Tiffany 5711s did we see? You know, how many rainbows do we see on the biggest quarterbacks? Um, and gold and flashy somehow came back, uh, you know, into the conversation where for a while, Everybody was under the radar and we got to be cool and we got to be quiet. And now it's like, no, I want to flex, you know, that I've got a million dollar RM on. And that's kind of where it started, in my opinion. And then it was like, well, forget it. I got a paddock that's worth a million bucks. <laughs> exactly. So what? So the, the John Mayer Rolex, I got I don't know what year he did that. It was a he did a Hodinkee um, interview, right? Where I want to say it was like 17 or 18. It was, you know. So it was right. Yeah. Right around the same time, I think I remember seeing. Like the pricing for a gold 5980 within like, I remember, so we had a deal. I was working on a deal. This is when I lived in Philly. So it must've been, it couldn't, I mean, I moved back to Florida in 2019. So it must've been 2018. I was working a deal where I agreed on price, but it was going to take us like three weeks to deliver the watch. And by the, from the time that we agreed on price, which would have been like 180,000 or something like that for the 5980 in rows. By the time I was delivering the watch, it had already gone up to like two twenty five. Right. So like, and it was, and and now like this seems almost normal. Where like it, within a few week period, all of a sudden these watches are becoming more expensive. Back then, like that was that was absurd. It was unheard of, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I think so. Right, it must have been right around the time, and maybe, maybe the the John Mayer thing kind of triggered that, and then people started looking at for rarity because steel sport watches. I mean, they're they're not rare. I mean, maybe mine is. You know? no, I mean, mine is not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's funny. I had a conversation with somebody today who's not a watch guy, and this is the other thing. I've been talking about this for a long time now, but it just seems to keep reinforcing itself that um, watching watches and watch collecting has become so so much more mainstream. In in like you know you well man just been you've been doing this for over thirty years. But I've been doing this for almost a decade. And when I started in this industry, I didn't know anything about watches. I couldn't believe that people spent this amount of money on watches just just willy-nilly. In fact, I remember having conversations with friends like, hey, man, I, I can't believe this guy just spent $8,000 on a watch. Right? Like that was crazy to me. So like people from the outside didn't know anything about watch collecting, didn't understand it. It didn't make sense. But guys who were in it, it made sense. Right? And we just thought, okay, well, this is this is the world. You know, people buy watches. They trade watches. And there must be – this is all the demand that could that can exist. Well, it turns out it's not the case at all. Like Paul Newman, um, Paul Newman uh, uh, auction pricing, uh, you know, uh, mainstream uh, music artists and athletes starting to invest, you know, put large sums of money into real watches has has really exploded the the watch scene to the mainstream. So, like, I mean. <sighs> I was saying last year that I thought it was three to five times the size of the market. I think it might it might be ten times. Like the size of the market have has uh, has just exploded, and this is where I think we're getting. And 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 the other thing is, and I think I've talked to you about this. You know, I had a com- I had a conversation with a friend who's an art dealer, and he said that the people who've been investing in arts for just um, but, you know, for centuries, right? Like, so like these ultra wealthy characters are now investing in watches also because they, in, in rare watches, like really rare watches. Right. But Rolex too, I guess, but, you know, but they're creating a portfolio of watches as a store of wealth, the same as they did with, with art. And I think that these are like, that's part, part of that is driving it. Mainstream news and mainstream media and social media really, um, uh, showing watches and watch collecting and watch brands to the masses. The, these are the things that are driving this crazy demand. Whereas, you know, you see world events that, hey, this might tank, tank the economy or this might kill the stock market, but watch prices keep going up. Yeah. And I think to your point, it's it's become the, the cool factor as part of it. I mean, it became like, uh, you know, 20 years ago, like guys who bought Patek Philippe's were bankers and lawyers and you know, stuffy Europeans. I mean, they would just, you know, it was like, oh, I have a Petaclip. You don't even know what this is. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of guys in Switzerland making them. Nobody can. Um, and it was really a niche market. And now, again, every hip hop guy, every NBA athlete of any note is a watch guy. I mean, like to the extent where you're right. I mean, like, you know, Giannis was in, you know, months ago. And the guy changes his watch daily to match his outfit and to show off and to be cool. And it's part of his persona. And it's all over social media. And it's, you know, millions of people are following this this and see that, hey, you know, this is kind of a cool thing to do. Oh, and by the way, if you buy the right watch, you can actually make money. And that's the other thing that really became and I still am not convinced how much I love that part of the business, uh, even though I probably do it more than anybody. And I mean it nonstop. But it's like at some point, you know, I, I do ask people, I'm like, you know, are you buying this because you really like it or you're buying it because it's money? 
And, you know, it does change the dynamic. I mean, I, I definitely consider pricing and everything we do, but at the end of the day, if I don't love the watch, like you said, you know, you got this new watch and you weren't sure you loved it, but once you loved it, you know, the value part of it never changed that feeling. And right. hopefully, which I, I kind of hope it doesn't happen. But it, yeah, no, exactly. And that's what it gets hard is when you have a watch that suddenly becomes valuable. You're like, damn, I liked banging this thing all around. I liked wearing it to the beach. Now I'm like, oh, man, you know, my GMT that I paid, you know, seven, eight thousand dollars for is now worth 20 something. And I'm like, oh, shit, I better like pay attention to it next time. Right. Yeah, it, it is weird. I mean, I've had that conversation with plenty of customers. I mean, I'm dealing with that almost on a daily basis where guys bought, you know, 15202s for 25 grand and then they weren't paying attention. And all of a sudden someone told them, hey, you know, that's like a hundred and something thousand dollar watch. And they're like, oh, crap. So number one, they don't feel comfortable wearing it anymore. Right. Number two, now they're like, well, I could do something better with this watch. So it changes your feeling about the watch, too. So this is that's a, I think that's the true downside of, of this. If we're going to look at it that way, I guess, like it. It definitely, when you have a watch that you bought because you liked it, you know, at $25,000, you know, 10 years ago, it was not a good investment. You were, you were going to sell it for 20 grand right. to a dealer, right? You know, you know what I'm saying? It, was, it would cost you money. You just bought it because you really liked the watch. There was history involved, whatever it may be. And now it's a hundred some odd thousand dollar watch. You're like, well, I don't feel comfortable wearing this anymore, right? Just because of that. Even though I love the watch before, I don't love it anymore. And now I got to sell it. And then it creates pressure. Okay, so what do I do with that money? Do I buy other watches that I do like? Do I buy other watches that I might be able to invest in? And it creates, it, it, there's definitely flux in that in the market. And I think that once the demand reaches its level, which it, like there's more and more guys every single day. Like I talk to young guys now who are spending, you know, they, they, they started making money a couple of years ago. Uh, now they're making, you know, way more money than they need. And they're looking to invest, but also in like, like playing with their money and these guys are buying watches and they're just getting into it. So, you know, five years from now, once those guys are, I guess you would say like seasoned collectors, you know, once, once that demand kind of reaches its level, wh where does that, where does the pricing sit? Right. Or is, is every AP over a hundred thousand is every Jordan over 200,000? We don't know. Right. Um, and also like, what does collecting look like at that point? Yeah, no, it's an interesting thing because, you know, to your point, it was always play money that went into watches. Um, you know, it was your excess money, you know, like if you got a good bonus, you took part of it and you bought yourself a watch kind of to memorialize it or it was a big occasion uh, mm -hmm. typically. But now it's become like a way to invest and have fun. And I think that's what a lot attracts a lot of people because it connects you to a community. And suddenly, like you're out to dinner and you see a guy wearing you know, a cool watch and you're wearing a cool watch and suddenly everybody's eyes go to both of them and there is a connection and you're going to have a conversation, um, which is not necessarily normal. And I don't think there's much else in it that happens that you suddenly become a connection. You want to know where you got it, you know, how long have you held it? What else do you have? Uh, and suddenly you end up talking watches with some random guy in a restaurant. I've had it happen many times. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anti-social media, like, you know, face to face, <laughs> yeah, like, no, hey, I mean, you know, I'm the old guy. I'm not a social media 24 hours a day guy, but, you know, I'm obviously on it. But, um, you know, I'm much more of the face to face. And I find those conversations just fun when you're sitting on a plane and the guy next to you is wearing a, you know, a cool paddock. All right. You know, he's so, so, OK, so let's talk like numbers and so on. So we've seen. So like, yeah, 
between 2016, when kind of the watch boom started happening, right, up until about 2020, which was COVID, like, threw gas on the fire, right, and things started going crazy. But between those times, like, for the most part, precious metal watches, I mean, I remember when I started in this industry, like, a white gold Submariner was, like, Dog. Yeah, yep. like it was a loser bet. Like, why would you buy that watch when you could buy the steel, right? So you could buy the steel for half the price. And when you go to sell it, it was worth what you paid. Whereas if you bought the, if you bought the gold for $34,000, we were buying them back for like sometimes less than 20 grand pre-owned because they would trade for like $22,000. Like I remember that vividly. So, you know, what, so now that's certainly not the case. No, right. it's certainly not the case, especially in Rolex, because, again, to your point, precious metal Rolexes were always the hardest to sell. Uh, you know, you felt old if you were buying a right. day date and you felt like you were paying a fortune, you know, three times the price for a white gold GMT or a sub uh, or Daytonas. So they always kind of sat a little bit. And now, you know, some of the hottest product, uh, you know, white gold Daytonas, blues, uh, the GMT meteorites have skyrocketed. In Everything the, meteorite. Anything meteorite, but especially that GMT, because, you know, again, $40,000 retail watch that used to be, you know, 50, then became 60. Now we sold one last week, the day it was posted in the mid 90s. Oh, my Lord. I know. And it's like, wow. I mean, and, and it's not just the spread, but it's like, that's a $50,000 premium. You know, like I understand when steel watches sell at double because it's 10 grand. And if you really love it and you want it tomorrow and you got to pay an extra 10 and you know you're safe in it, you're going to do it. But when you start talking about $50,000 premiums, you know, that's like I could buy two other steel watches instead of that. Right. Um, is, and is that a symptom of the actual rarity? Is it perceived rarity? I mean, they definitely make less precious metal watches in general than steel. But like, so what do you think? I mean, is it is it more high end, more money at the top end coming in? Yeah. There's a, a lot more money coming in at the top end. There's that want to be cooler than the next guy effect. You know what I mean? So if you are a watch guy and, you know, if you see me wearing a Batman, you know, OK, that's a nice watch. But if you see, see me wearing a GMT Meteorite, you're like, OK, that's a really nice watch. Mm-hmm. And only the guys who are in it know. Like I could wear the both of them with my wife there and she'd have no idea the difference. Right. Um, and there's something that's attractive about that. And I think that's what we've seen happen in the high-end APs. Um, I've seen it happen uh, in the Nautilus families. Again, Nautilus is a great example. Um, you know, the 5980s and 5990s that used to sit are now like real showpieces because it's $3,000, right? Yeah. And again, yeah. to your point, you know, 10, 10 years ago, how many $400,000 watches did you ever sell? One here or there. Um, now it's like every week, every, every couple week. of days we're selling a $400,000 watch. And it's to people who are just getting into it too. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, I still haven't sold a watch that, uh, a single watch at that price point. But we, I've seen there's guys selling a million dollar watches in our, in our office. Um you know, I haven't. I still haven't met a guy who's willing to spend a million dollars on a watch. But I mean, I, I think this month I've sold. So we're twenty five days into the month. Right. I think I've sold six, maybe five or six hundred thousand dollars plus watches already, which is like that's never happened. I mean, in terms of my personal sales, my best three month stretch has been December of twenty twenty one. 
January of 2021 and now February of 2021, a million over a million dollars each month in a row. Whereas my, the I'd only ever ever had one million dollar sales month ever. That was back in 2018, and it was just like somebody decided to spend like a stupid amount of money on a bunch of watches all one time. Right. Yeah, no, it's a factor of a lot of things. I think. I mean, there's certainly more. There are more hundred thousand dollar watches. Is part of it. You right. Know, that's you think about it. I mean, you know, a Nautilus was never a hundred thousand dollar watch. So you sold a bunch of them before, but they were sixty. Yeah. <laughs> so that makes it easier. But the the willingness for the market to accept uh, this next level, and I think you brought up the art world, which is an interesting, mm-hmm. um, you know, comparison because for years, you know, million dollar art is $50 million pieces of art um, were considered normal. Um, And still today, you know, a lot of guys want to find that next new artist. They want to find the next category that's overlooked. Um, And a lot of people pile into it and it boosts up. And I think that's exactly what we've seen. And I think a lot of people saw the value play in gold watches. And, you know, why was the steel one worth more when the gold one's much rarer? It's a flex. It's cool looking. Everyone's going to notice it. Um, and it can be a lot of money. And I think that's exactly what's happened. And it's across the board. Um, you know, you mentioned Rolex. You, we've mentioned AP. We've mentioned Nautiluses. Um, all of those things have seen the same effect in complicated precious metals. Yeah. Well, Jorn and stuff like that, too. I mean, so like it, the 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 top 10 art auctions of 2021, each one of them sold for over $50 million. Right. Right. So like that's bonkers. And I understand, you know, art is much more rare. A lot of times it's one-off pieces. I mean, basically they're all one-off pieces, but so the most expensive art auction or watch auction of 2021 was what was it? Was it the, the, the paddock uh, perpetual? For ten million, it could have been that one or one of the Phillips sales. I don't know what the final numbers were, but one of those things. But I mean, if you think about it, I mean, uh, you know, AP just paid eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars yesterday for Genta's original drawing. Uh, you know, Danny was underbidding it. I mean, there was like so people are bidding, you know, eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a piece of watch art. Go figure. <laughs> well, so it's definitely come into that world. So like, and and there is like an. And in the art world, and again, I, I don't know much about it. All I know is from the conversations I've had with some customers who are, you know, they make their living in there. So if you're listening to this and you're 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 in the art world and you're telling me I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, that's fine. Send me an email to straighten me out. That's fine. <laughs> um, but you know that there's like basically infinite amounts of money in that in that art world, right? Money that goes into spending. I mean, the most expensive uh, art auction was was it a Picasso bought by the king of of Saudi Arabia or something, and like it was like one hundred and fifty million dollars or something crazy like that, right? So, again, like having the conversation with my friend who's the art dealer, he told me he he sees the ceiling of the watch market or the high end watch market, right? Not total because there's, there's it's a long it's a big span the watch market. I don't know if it's that way in the art market or not, but. Um, uh, the high-end watch market, he sees the ceiling as being the the, the art market, right? So where, where you're having just routinely every year absurdly high um, watch auctions, but there's, these are people who are putting this money into things that are basically a store of value. They see it as a store of value, and then they trade between these characters as well. 
So it's, it's an interesting look at it because I know just a few years ago, I mean, I still feel nervous about talking about watches as an investment, but we would have, if somebody said, oh, I want to invest in watches, we're like, listen, man, let's start right. by saying Save your money, don't make a mistake. <laughs> I've oh, had that yeah. conversation for 30 of my 39 years. Yeah. Um, and now it's like, it's hard to argue with it. I still don't like that approach, but again, um, I really believe it's got to do with uh, people wanting to be recognized on what they're buying. It's, it's something you can, you know, it's transportable. It's, you know, you know, you get, you buy an amazing piece of art and the only people who see it are the people who come to your house. Um, the watch gets seen out. And I mean, yeah, there are some negatives to that in parts of the world, but um, mostly if you're hanging in the right neighborhoods, it becomes part of that club. And I've definitely seen people going for that. I've seen people on the high end. Um, and it's also interesting, even in brands like Paddock, we haven't seen the same appreciation or escalation in, you know, 5970s or 5270s where they're complicated, were originally more expensive watches. That's not what shot up. It's really the, the bracelet pieces that are a little showier um, and a little more instantly recognizable to the masses. Um, you know, nobody's grabbing your wrist when it's a 5004 or even a, you know, a 3970. That's not what's being worn. That's why I think a lot of this appreciation is driven by, um, I want to say new money uh, into the market um, in a way that, you know, oh, I'm not, I'm not a watch geek and I haven't been, you know, looking for a 2499 my whole life. Um, but I know watches are cool and I know that Nautilus is cool and I know the green face is cool. So I have to have that one. Right. Yeah. So the, the instantly recognizable watches, but that's, I mean, for the most part, right, there's always been a small section of like watch nerds who cared about the movements and were looking for like, you know, a Mark one dial of this variant or whatever it may be. But for the even even before this boom that we're seeing, the the vast majority, the Rolex was still king. Like even though they sold at discounts, they sold at the smallest discounts compared to other brands. Like you could, you could get, you know, a 10 percent discount on a sub, but you'd be looking for 30 percent on a, some Omega. Right. Even though maybe the Omega was a technically better watch, the sub was still the flex watch because it was made by Rolex and people or, you know, it was the easiest to understand. It was the the most tradable trading. I mean, when I started in the industry, the first thing I was told Rolex Submariners is the is the the highest volume trading watch that exists. Correct. Like this is this is what we're looking at. So even before before this boom the newcomers into the industry were always looking at the stuff that was the easiest to understand. Like looking at a 5,004 as a first time watch buyer, you're like, what the hell are you looking at? Like I, correct. There's a learning curve there, right? There's a learning which, curve there. Yeah. Which, I think that's exactly what we're seeing is in the market is, uh, you know, and the interesting thing, you know, you bring up vintage again, which is something that was the, you know, a lot of the big money back in the day chased vintage. And that's not right. the case today. The big money is chasing modern, hard to come by, very visible watches. And that's really where the strength of the market has exploded. That's where the gold has exploded. It's these watches that everybody knows what it is, uh, even if you're only a casual, uh, you know, appreciator of watches. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the newest watches now bring the most money. A 2022, you know, if a watch is a day old, uh, <laughs> way more than one that's five years old right now, which is it was the opposite. It was totally the opposite. Yeah, no, it's a very interesting market. Um, it is definitely going to continue. I mean, will I, 
Will we see some correction in some of these crazy escalations? I think so. Um, I think summertime you'll start seeing it, you know, chill a little bit. You know, the geopolitical world is getting messy again. And, you know, those things, markets get a little skittish in general. Um, But I think the ultimate growth in the market and expansion of the market is going to continue. Uh, you know, no one's going to forget that there are these now small, small brands that are collectible. You know, Jorn's not going back to where it was 10 years ago. Uh, you know, Devatune's not going backwards. You know, Paddock and Rolex aren't going backwards. AP is hotter than anything we've seen. I mean, you know, granted it's the 50th and they've done a great job, but, you know, who would have thought AP would be at this level five years ago? Nobody. I don't care who you are. What prediction you uh, The Royal Oak. Was like a, was a kind of a shit watch. Well, for a lot of years, you know, you go back 10, 15 years ago and they kept trying to introduce other things to, to sell because the Royal Oaks weren't great sellers. You know, we had Jules Audemars, we had those MC12s, we had all this crazy stuff and shapes and different things and strap watches and cabinet pieces and all that kind of stuff um, because the Royal Oaks just sat there. Um, and until, you know, again, that's a whole nother conversation of what triggered that. But now the, uh, the gentle has taken over the world and all these things are, are now so coveted. Um, and especially on the precious metal side of it. And and I, in my opinion, it stems from education and that's social media and YouTube. I mean, I have friends who are not watch guys at all, or were not watch guys at all. And I'm sure you get it too. Somebody's watching, you know, Roman's channel and they, hey, man, I saw you on Roman's channel. <laughs> like, you were at the watch show. And I'm like, yeah, man. Yeah, I've been doing that for a while now. And, and like, like, oh, it's so entertaining to see this business, blah, blah, blah. And then they start getting into it. Like, you know, like I, I think I've told the story a million times. Probably people are, are tired of hearing it. But I had a friend who now he makes himself almost a million bucks a year. But at the time, he was probably making three to five hundred thousand dollars a year. I was wearing a painter eye at his house. He goes, hey, man, tell me how much that watch is worth. It costs. And I said, it's five grand. He goes, who the hell would spend $5,000 on a watch? Right? <laughs> guy who had a $100,000 boat. He lived in a million-dollar home. Right. Like, he was spending money. It wasn't like he was broke and he was like, oh, rich people. No, he was. He could afford a $5,000 watch. He could afford much more than that. And now he's got like 30, 30 grand in Rolexes. Right. Which he, and he talks to me about it. He goes, man, you know what's so great about it is that when you're wearing it, you just feel like – it's a celebration of your success, which is something I've been saying for a long time. I like that term, celebration of success, because that's – I think you can almost sum up every watch purchase to that, regardless of if you care about the watchmaking or whatever, like because they're expensive. Yes. It's just, they're a luxury good. So you're celebrating your success by buying something, but it's also fine art. I mean, I, the, this watch is mostly handmade, right? I can – I know the – like I can reach out to the CEO of the company. Right. I could have a conversation on social media with him about it so I can learn about it. And I, I've been getting really, really into these really small brands because of that, too. And that's so that's that's, I guess, part of the next thing in terms of where the market's going to go. So as it's a learning curve. Right. And it, but it's much shorter than it used to be. Right. It used to take you, you know, 30 years to go from buying a Rolex to buying, you know, a paddock even sometimes in some cases. Right. Like understanding and, and, and wanting to spend the money on something so expensive at that point, spending fifty thousand dollars on a on a little dress watch. You would have to convince yourself by by educating yourself, but this because of social media, because of the internet, the learning curve is just shortened dramatically. I think three to five years, if you're a hardcore collector and can afford it, you can go from buying your first Rolex, your steel Rolex, to spending money on a debit tune, right? 
It's very true. And I've seen that a lot. You see these guys who just get a toe in the water for whatever reason. And I, I love that, the fact that it is a celebration and it always was. And I always think of it like I always wear watches mainly for myself because people I used to hang out with had no idea what they were anyways. And, you know, like I just felt cool and I love my Rolexes and it's typically what I have. And I have some paddocks that were, you know, given to me when we had good years and, you know, kind of a, a milestone marker. And I love giving watches to people because of that. Uh, but there's a certain feeling you get when you're wearing something that you earned, worked hard for and, you know, get to wear every day, which is kind of cool. So I think that's going to be it. I think the other thing we're seeing is, you know, in the higher ends, you know, platinum starting to take off the way gold did, you know, especially in Rolex with the Daytonas and the day dates. And again, those were uh, watches that were not greatly appreciated um, because you have to know what you're looking at. But the, nowadays, the platinum stuff's taken off, the AP platinums, um, you know, Paddock doesn't do a lot in that department, but the ones they have done, you know, big money. The 5170P in the last like two months has gone from like a $90,000 watch, like a $130,000 watch. Correct. I mean, I, I literally sold one. I bought one back yesterday. I sold to my customer who's an old friend of mine um, and a very conservative banker um, and bought it last summer um, and never really loved it, appreciated it, but he felt it was too flashy. He didn't like the diamonds on it. You know, he's a conservative guy um, and just bought it back from him yesterday and he made $25,000. You know, in less than a year. And he's like, you know, I like it, but, you know, I don't, I don't like owning it, but, eh, you know. It's crazy. Well, I mean, so people don't, people don't like to acknowledge either that the first ceramic Daytona was the platinum and nobody gave a shit about it. Right. Nobody cared. It was too heavy. The color was weird. Uh <laughs> I mean, it traded for like, like around 40, if I remember correctly. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong about yeah, no, it was an easy. And then again, then it got close to retail, then it got over retail, and now I can't keep up with it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is it a $200,000 keep... watch now? I, I, I can't imagine. I don't see well, that. But again, that's getting to me to be speculation on what's going away. And I know that's something else we always have fun talking about is, you know, Watches and Wonders is basically a month away now. Uh, you know, some people have pre-dropped, but the big brands will still be saving for that. So everybody's talking about it, predicting, trying to figure out what, one, what's going to get discontinued, and two, what, you know, new Rolexes that you won't be able to get. <laughs> <laughs> and and in the past, it was more about the new releases. Now it's definitely about the, the discontinuations. I remember specifically about Batmans, and I had, I'm like, listen, man. I think Batmans are going to get discontinued. So, you know, if I was talking to any friends who like to invest in watches or whatever. Actually, the same guy who I'm telling you about who it was, you know, questioning me about a $5,000 watch. Actually, I think that's probably what changed his mind about these watches. I'm like, hey, man, I think that they're going to discontinue this Batman. So, and they were trading for like nine or 10000 at the time. I'm like, go buy a few of them. He bought four of them. I love he it. Ross Pre-owned. He bought one from Bob's Watches and like a few other at market price, like 10 grand. I'm like, listen. It's not going to go down in value. So worst case scenario, maybe you lose 500 bucks per watch and, you know, you call it a, you, you call it a mistake or whatever, but I think you're going to make money on these. So it gets discontinued and immediately they were trading for 15. I think he flipped all four of them for like $14,000 a pop. So he made, made himself four grand a watch. And he's like, he's like, dude, I cannot believe this. And I go, yeah, it was a guess. Um, I, you know, it was an educated guess, but it was a guess and it worked out for him. And then now he's like, 
It's like, oh, okay, so I can buy these things and maybe they cost me a little bit, but also maybe I'll make some money on it and I get to enjoy it and like it and wear it and like feel cool about wearing it. Like that's, that was the, I think, what year was the Batman originally discontinued? That Was that 2017? 17, yeah. I think the other thing that's fun about it, you talk about other items. It's like, you know, the, yeah, the guy has a boat, the guy has cars, but like those are a pain in the ass to sell. Mm-hmm. Like you want to, you know, trade a, a watch or sell a watch or, you know, move into something else. It's the easiest thing in the world to stick in a box and send. And there's a you know, liquid market any day you want to sell it. Um, oh, yeah. it that I think also helps. The market area, you can sell your Rolex for cash within hours mostly. Correct. Yeah. It's – so it's it's a store of value. It's also you know it's currency. I mean, I, I had to talk to an investment guy, and he's like, "Listen, he goes, what other good can you, what other what other product can you carry? You know, ten million dollars worth in a backpack on a plane across borders, right. like like you know, name one, you know, maybe diamonds, I guess. Diamonds were always. I mean, that was one of the reasons that you know originally you know natural pearls and diamonds were always held like that just for those reasons. If you were in an unstable environment, you needed portable wealth, and that's what it was. Um, I mean, as sad as what's going on in Ukraine, and I have family there. It's where my mother's family's from. She 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 was born in Kiev. But, like, I wonder how many how many millions of dollars worth of watches are flooding across these borders to escape that, that situation right now. And, it, like, that's going to allow these people in some ways to, you know, live. live. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So, like, not to get too serious about it, but I mean, like in some ways it's a lifeline for certain people, especially in, in uncertain times like this, right? Like I remember when, when we were watch you want small operation, there was a guy, a Venezuelan guy, he used to show up every few months to sell us gold watches. And I had a conversation with him and then I looked him up online and he was like an ex lawyer for Pablo Escobar. And he was like a high ranking official in, uh, with the, with the Venezuelan government and I think we kind of figured out that he was like buying these watches in Venezuela because he would sell them to us, no box, no papers, but new, bringing them to the U.S. So he because he told me his wife and, and daughter lived here and he had to pay for her. He was selling the watches because he wouldn't need it to pay for her private schools, what he told us. So right. like we put the we kind of read between the lines there, figured out, OK, he's buying them in Venezuela. And that's how he's getting his money out of the country. <laughs> disappeared one day. Who knows where the hell he is now? I can't remember his name. But uh, he did that for probably a good year or so with us. So like it, it is, it, it's becoming more mainstream in that sense. So like, do we see, cause this is also the other conversation that I have with so many people, especially guys who've been collecting for like 10 to 15 years. They're like, Oh, you know, when is the bottom going to fall out of this? Right. Which I might've said in early on, I'm like, yeah, man, you better sell your watch. Cause any day now this bubble's going to pop. But now I don't, I don't know. I think there's, there's a, I hate this term, but like a new normal um, where, you know, the demand the worldwide demand is going to have to dissipate. So it has to be like, it's going to be a generational thing, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it would be a long, it would be hard for to see it a full collapse at this point. I mean, things will correct and slow down, I think, on certain models. Um, but like, if you think about it, you know, buying Rolexes at retail is going to be, uh, you know, a good thing for the foreseeable future. And I'm talking decades. I mean, it's like, you know, there's not going to be a sudden fill up of all the cases. Um, there's just too many people who are looking for them. There's too much advantage. And it's, uh, you know, it's just too big that it's out of the barn already. I mean, it's done. Um, there's just going to be shortages. That's just the way it's going to be. 
Um, you know, we've had a lot of experience. I've been all over the world and it's everywhere. Yeah. You know, I remember going a couple of years ago to Panama thinking, oh, maybe I can pick up a Rolex down here. And it's like, no, <laughs> they found them there too. I mean, every, every place in the world has had the same experience and there's no places that, you know, you find these holes anymore. So. Yeah, it's, it is wild. Um, so yeah, man. So, well, I, I guess I'm, I'm happy that complicated and gold watches are worth more than steel, but I guess I'm not super happy that they're, it, the, the way that they got that way is just by like tripling in price. <laughs> it's, it makes my watch collecting tougher. You know, I just, it does, you know, I got, I have to just work harder, save more money and use more funds towards the same watches that I might've liked. I mean, even longer, like, which like, you know, the, the, the uh, 403035 was a kind of a watch that, that I really, really want to own. I still kind of want to own it, but it used to be, I could have picked that up through another dealer, maybe at 45,000. Now at this point, I got to spend like 70 grand on this watch. Oh, more uh, now. They're pushing 90 now. Oh, I haven't seen. That's a problem too. And it, I like, mean, it's literally crazy. I mean, I bought one yesterday and, you know, oh, God. paid well, 75,000. It needs a little work. It's like. I, you know, I, I do this for a living, right? I, you know, I'm selling a million dollars worth of watches every, every month and buying probably nearly the same. And people are calling me, texting me, like, Hey man, what's this worth? And my answer is, well, let me check. Cause I haven't bought one in three weeks. <laughs> it used to be, Oh yeah. You know, we know 90, the price of everything. Yeah. 18 months was kind of like, you know, know. Within 18 months that would tell you how much the price point is. And then it shortened up to like six months. Then it was like three months. And now it's like a few weeks and I don't even know what the watch is worth anymore. Yeah, no, and I, it's very hard to stay on top of everything because, one, we also deal with a much broader spectrum than most. Um, you know, we go the full gamut, and it's like, you know, I'm buying $1,000 watches and million-dollar watches, so it's hard to be in everything. Um, sure. But it is moving quickly. Um, and you're also seeing, you know, I do a lot of metrics. I do a lot of data analysis. We have people who, you know, run me lots of spreadsheets. And when you start seeing the demands – peak up and you know suddenly it happened like six weeks ago we sold every steel daytona we had in in stock because you know i was about a week behind on the pricing and i didn't jack up the prices so you know had good news we sold them all uh, right but it's yeah, sudden, a, new, a new reset of the level right like a certain co uh, color and bracelet combination of a sky dweller all of a sudden we have we have 10 of them they're sitting i'm negotiating all of a sudden boom all of them are gone it's like what what happened here did somebody make a post like, you know, just there's so much demand for us to, and we're, I mean, I, we're probably the largest company doing this, right? I, I, I would say. I believe we are now. I hate to always say that, but I, I'm pretty sure we are. Right. So like in, in a company like us trying to figure it all out all at one time, it's so hard. And I mean, I have guys who like, you know, I make an offer two weeks ago that we agree upon, but the guy's got to get the, the box set for his watch. So he goes and travels and then. I, he ghosts me and I texted him and he's like, no, man, sorry, you lowballed me. And I'm like, oh, the, one of the watches that, that he was selling to us has gone up in the last two weeks. It's almost, you know, it's gone up 30% in value. So now he looks at my offer and says, oh, well, you were, you lowballed me. I'm like, well, hold on. There was a shift in the market. So the offer you just got yesterday because, you know, you were just thinking about it. Right. It's not, it's not a lowball on my end. Like this is what the market was two weeks ago and you, that you agreed to it. But so that's, that's a tough thing to deal with as a, it's a salesperson too, because like, you know, being accused of lowballing, which people do, right. It's usually, if you don't know what the watch is worth, you're just going to offer so low that you know, you can't lose, right. That's truly what a lowball is. I know we don't do that. We're trying to, 
No, I need to buy watches. I mean, that's my job is to make sure we're buying watches every day. So, you know, we just need to make sure we can make a profit as well. And sometimes, like I remember we were in a show in Miami in January and um, I bought a Platinum Daytona and Alan, who's, you know, my other pricing guy, looked at me like I had four heads because I literally paid basically what we sold the same watch for two weeks before. And he's like, what are you thinking? I'm like, I just got a feeling. And I, I'm not going to lose probably because I just sold one for this. And, you know, it turns out they were up 40 grand in six weeks. That's crazy. Just like, got lucky. Yeah. Like, so that's, that'll be the first thing that stops. Like when you see that this price spikes, stop or slow, that'll be the best indicator that, hey, man, this is, demand has reached this level. So like, and, but, and also I do get a feeling, and this is literally, I don't really have any true evidence of this, but that there are, because you know, we, we work in an unregulated industry, right? And in the past, what you would see is that like jewelers who deal mostly like in diamonds and gold, which is very commoditized, they would, move, every time there was like some demand in the watch market, they would move into the watch market and they, but they would focus mostly on Rolex because it's easy. You can, you know, the reference numbers, you know, right. what you're buying. There's no, like, there's no question. Like I didn't accidentally buy the wrong one for the wrong price. Like they'd move into the watch market, right? Get, you know, make some money. And then if things cooled off, they would move back out of it. Right. So like you see a lot of that going on. And now I feel like some of the spikes in asking prices that we're seeing could be some a few a few dealers that have been in this market now for a few years and they weren't in it before. And they're saying, oh, listen, you know what? Instead of trying to chase everything. Right. So instead of trying to get educated on Jorn and get educated on Gronefeld and get educated on Omega or whatever it may be. We can just focus on the same SKUs like the Royal Oaks, which have easy reference numbers to know exactly what you're doing with paddocks and and Rolexes. And then we can try to jack up demand on those so that if we sell one, now we can call the guy back in three weeks, buy it back, sell it again, make the same money. So it's like, again, I don't have any evidence of this, but the way that some models are moving, I feel like that might be happening here too. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. I think it's true. The thing I always look for, because I'm looking at metrics every day, is I look at unit volume. Okay. And when I see unit volume staying strong, I have confidence in the underlying market. When I start seeing units drop off, even though the top line number might look good, uh, you know, if I only sell one watch for a million bucks, I don't feel as good about it as if I sell 10 for 100. Or of course. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's just, I'm really always have my eye on that. Um, just to see where the trading is and how much the volume is trading is. And like the last two months, we've had the biggest units months we've ever had. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously February won't be that because it's a short month, but <laughs> I mean, my, my 28, 31 days, I lose 10% of my volume in a month. So, well, I mean, I had a million dollars in sales personally halfway through the month. It's never happened before. It's crazy. Yeah. No, I mean, we're certainly doing big volume and the volume numbers are great, but I'm just, I keep an eye on that. Uh, you know, I just look for a slowdown in units, but sure. I haven't seen one yet. Yeah. And that's, I think that's how we have to look at it. I mean, because I get, if I'm getting outbid, I, I mean, in some ways I'm like, that's fine. Like that means that other people, it's not just us. Like, you know, if, if someone else is willing to pay like, a, like more than what we're willing to pay, that's fine. That means that we have a healthy market, but if we're always the top bidder or if one guy's always the top bidder, like there's, there's something else going on usually. And I always laugh about that because, you know, a lot of people take shots at us about, oh, you know, you guys manipulate markets to do that. It's like I'd be buying 90% of what I'm offering on instead of 20, you know, if I was <laughs> manipulating markets. You know, there's a lot of people outbidding us at times. Right. So, I mean, it's like we don't win everything. We don't lose everything. It's just there's a market out there. It's bigger than people realize. And it's getting bigger every day. 
So we'll have to see. I mean, I, I don't I don't see these brands. Well, depending on how we look at it. Right. So some of the brands count their success based on units. Right. Which I don't think is the best way to do it. It should be based on revenue. Really, that's in profit. Right. That's how they should really be right. determining things. Which Now, these these brands are getting they're doing the most more uh, units than they've ever done, but they're also selling them at higher price points than they ever have, right? Like they have less discounts. So if the swatch groups, the the reach, uh, the reach of the world decide to start trying to increase production because they think that, Oh, you know, we can unlimited demand. buy, we can sell more instead of, instead of saying, oh, listen, we can sell more, the same amount of watches just at those same, at, at, at a higher price point. Like that's, that will keep the market, I guess, um, uh, more true, right. as opposed to going to back to what it was before, which was, you know, uh, a twenty to seventy percent overproduction, depending on the model, right? right? So, I mean, the, the, the Swiss watch industry has a great opportunity right now to take big risks in terms of watchmaking, which is great, but also to to keep their company, to keep their business very healthy. I mean, we talked about. I mean, when was the last time closeouts came out? Like Joe yeah, Machado. The market doesn't exist anymore. doesn't exist anymore. Like all these brands that used to buy backdoor large lots of watches directly from the manufacturer at huge discounts in order to fund the next years. Like, you know, in clothing, that's something that's, that's always been happening. That's why you have the Marshalls and the TJ Maxxes. Right. So basically, Joma Shop and Authentic Watches and brands like companies like that were, based, were the same thing just for watches. People didn't realize. Like, oh, these guys have new watches. Well, they were new in some way. I mean, they, they, were, they were getting them direct at huge discounts that's dried up. So that, I think that's very healthy for the market. So I just hope that these companies don't get greedy and say, Oh, well, we can up production. And then they end up back in the same position that they right. were just, just moving. Forward. I mean, eventually they will They're you know, that's just the nature of markets, but uh, it's going to take a long time because they can't ramp up that quickly, especially in the higher end. Cause the higher end takes, you know, you just don't add more machines. You need bodies and humans and people who can actually do it. And you just don't have that capacity. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, in some ways, the quality of watches now, because especially with the focus on the high end has gone up. Right. You know, I mean, there's, you know, every, there's so many little brands that I find on Instagram and I reach out and say, Hey, how much are your watches? And they go, well, uh, you know, I appreciate you reaching out, but sorry, we're not, you know, we're sold out for the, in perpetuity, we only make whatever 30 watches a year. And they're making like these amazing handmade gorgeous watches that I'd love to buy. And I can't because some, you know, <laughs> That you know, two hundred and fifty people already found out, already about, found it. out about it. You're too late to the party. Yeah, story but of my life. It's good. You know, watchmakers are are, but our artisans are really you know seeing their heyday now, which I think is fantastic. So, love it. But, all right, so uh, we're, we're running up at the end of this. I mean, we we're, we can do a whole show about that, but uh, we talked about um, some Rolex news at the end of next month. Rolex is going to you know make their releases. Um, my prediction, which I've put on social media already is I don't think they're going to discontinue any, any Daytona's, maybe a certain variance of dials or whatever, but I think everything's going to stay the same, but they're going to add a 42 millimeter oyster flex Daytona to the family. And I'll, the reason why I think that is because that's what they did with the yacht master. And a lot of times the yacht master, if you look through the history, like they try things out with that model, right? It's not like a high profile model in general. People still don't even know that there's a 42 millimeter uh, Oyster Flex um, Yachtmaster, which I own and I really like that watch. I love that watch. So I think a 42 millimeter um, uh, Daytona on an Oyster Flex and precious metal, I think that 
that'll be released, and I think it'll be a hit, but I don't think they're, they're going to discontinue anything. That's my my bold prediction. Well, I think we're going to see a couple things discontinued, not in Daytona, but – well, maybe Daytona. I wouldn't be surprised if the green and the blue go away right. uh, on the precious metals, but I would see them putting ceramic bezels on bracelets – um, you know, and doing something in a different color, you know, take the platinum Daytona and bring it down a notch to a, you know, to a yellow gold variation and replace the John Mayer with the new version. I could see that. I think the Air King and Milgauss will go um, just because they're using the old movements um, and Rolex doesn't like to use multitudes of movements. So I think that's going to go. And, you know, I think we will see a new, uh, Milgauss, I wouldn't be surprised. Air King might go away because it's kind of redundant with the new little P family. Um, but I think it could be a, an interesting year. I think we might be due for a a big introduction Rolex. You know, I would love to see Rolex. You know, why don't we have a Rolex perpetual calendar on a bracelet? Could you imagine a 5740 Rolex? Mm. You know, being paddock out of the game. Right. I mean, they have uh, annual. They have that in their history. Yes. You know, Jean-Claude Keeley, let's do a, you know, perpetual chrono Rolex. It would be incredible. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they'll do it, but, boy, that's what I'd love to see. All right, cool. So, well, uh, hopefully I'll get you for an hour just talking about Rolex. Oh, God, yeah, we'll definitely do it the week before. We'll do that. But uh, it sounds like you're saying buy Air Kings and Milgausses if you look at Rolexes as investments. Those might be the ones. That, that might be the, uh, the Batman of 2017. Correct. Okay. And maybe Watchbox has already stocked a lot of these. We don't know. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> All right, man. Just, well, listen, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Always uh, is, Josh. Thank you so much for having me back. Of course. Absolutely. Why don't you tell the folks here how to get a hold of you if you want them to? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm on social media. Mike Manjo's, uh, mmanjo's at thewatchbox.com. Uh, I'm easy to find. I'm kind of around all the time. Uh, I'm at the office. I'm at the shows. I'm around. Um I'm the old guy in the office, so I love it. So Nothing Awesome. And, and so, guys, if you're listening this deep into the show, we love you. You're champions. Uh, and uh, remember to subscribe to our channel. We have YouTube is uh, Watchbox Reviews and Watchbox Studios. You can uh, listen to it. This is the 105th episode of the Trading Desk podcast. So you can uh, go back and listen to us talk all sorts of crap about watches, see what we were right and wrong about um, on iTunes or on uh, your Spotify podcast app. Uh, you can email me, jthanos at thewatchbox.com. Uh, you can always text me. If you find me on Instagram, it's at Mr. Thanos. My cell phone number is in my little bio there too. People always ask like, oh, how do I get a hold of you? You can just literally just call or text me. Um, so reach out to me and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again. Thanks everybody. All right.